You're listening to the Team Stripes Podcast, the podcast for hockey referees. Each show, we discuss the world of officiating and find out that not everything is in black and white. Here's your host, Brandon Bourgeois. So uh, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Team Stripes Podcast. We have a very special guest with us. Uh, He is a former NHL linesman and who has worked more than 1,800 NHL games, and he's also worked a few high-profile events, such as the 2002 Winter Olympics, uh, the NHL All-Star Game, and Stanley Cup Playoff Games. So we're really pleased to welcome Mr. Mike Civic to the show. Mike, welcome. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So I think a lot of folks out there will recognize your name, and if they don't recognize your name, they'll certainly recognize you on the ice because you're a very tall linesman, I guess we could say. And uh, I'm I'm just curious, uh, before we get going, uh, you know, What's your what was your introduction to officiating? How did you first get started? How did I first get started? Well, I was a brutal player, and uh, I only played community hockey. Uh, my brother was a goalie, and uh, he got into the uh, higher levels of uh, hockey into the double A hockey. And back in uh, the early days of my officiating career, it was. Uh, I ended up, uh, I was driving my brother to and from the games because my dad was a police officer and he worked a lot of shift work, so he wasn't able to do it. And uh, because that was the majority of my brother's games, the coach just said to me, hey, you know, why don't you become our team referee? Um, Give you 25 bucks a game. You come out, uh, you referee, um, a dad from the other team will referee, and you just go out and, and work the game. And I was doing that for... Oh, probably about half a season. And uh, after one of the games, a guy came up to me and asked me uh, if I wanted to be a certified referee. I kind of looked at him and said, well, uh, aren't I a certified referee? And he goes, uh, no, actually, you're just uh, kind of like a community guy. Uh, what we would do is you'd come take a two-day clinic. Uh, we would assign you your games, um, so on and so forth. You'd be covered insurance and all this kind of stuff. And he looked at me and said, and by the way, it won't cost you anything because your community association will pay for it. I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I said, I get to become a certified referee. You guys give me more games. I get I, I get more money. I said, can I still referee my brother's games? He goes, yeah, you get, you get to pick your games that you want when we call you. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I went to the weekend clinic, signed up, and the rest is history. And so when you first picked up the uh, striped jersey, I mean, did you take to it pretty uh pretty easily like were you a natural when you first became an official well uh, i mean uh, if, if you want to call picking on your brother's team a natural yeah i, I was pretty good <laughs> then i think i think the majority of the families i called in my whole uh early career was against uh, my brother's team because it was like oh i can't show favoritism so i really hammered ha- hammered them um but once i got uh you know took the course and uh got immersed into other levels of hockey it was um it was something i thought oh this is pretty cool i'm uh, i get to go on the ice you know back then i would you know work on a weekend three or four games a weekend walk away with a hundred bucks and it'd be like wow you know i got gas money now i don't have to ask my mom or my dad for gas money so it was kind of you know just one of those things that worked out uh well and i i started to enjoy it and i i had some really good mentors in my early early years that um, had worked some high-profile hockey previous to them coming back to minor hockey. So they kind of knew the right things to do and uh, taught me some of the right things to do. And 
as I progressed further and further along in minor hockey and, and advanced into different stages of hockey, you work with more and more qualified guys who were actually working back then in the Western Hockey League or working CIS, um, had done some uh, interprovincial hockey that, you know, back then was the cool hockey to do. Boy, if you got one of those assignments, you were, you were, you were well on your way to being a top amateur official. So, um, you know, just working with a lot of them. And then um, I went to uh, Dutch Van Dielen School, the Western Canada School of Officiating. And then when that one kind of uh, went by the wayside, I attended the Western Hockey League School of Officiating. So I had some really good instructors in uh, Kerry Fraser, Dan Marawelli, Wayne Forsey. Uh, of course, Dutch was there. And then all the amateur guys from the four Western provinces had uh, had some presence there. So I had a really good cross-section of people that uh, I got to learn the game from. And, uh, you know, it worked out well for me. Going through your career, I mean, did you did you think when you, you first kind of reached a level like the WHL that the National Hockey League was in sight? Uh, or what was kind of the career progression for you to get to those highest levels? Probably, uh, probably around 19. Well, see, uh, once I got into Western League, I still attended the uh, Western Hockey League School of Officiating. I think my first year as as still a student, and then they uh, Wayne Forsey um, had to step aside. So then they asked me to come and instruct. So I got to be kind of like one of the young instructors at the school, but I was kind of like a guy that graduated from the school. So I was like the cool guy to come and ask questions to. Mm-hmm. So um, with the kids, it was really good. But with the instructors, I got to spend more time with Dan and Carrie and um, got to learn more of, you know, what they do, um, more of the job, on you know, in the NHL and not just the glamorous stuff that you see on the ice more the how you get from point A to point B, how you get paid, how you get expenses reimbursed, how do you get your assignments, and, and all this other stuff. And I was kind of like, oh, you know, that sounds like it might be a cool job. And then um, one of the one of the years, uh, um, I'm going to get this wrong because I can't remember, uh, Scotty Morrison came out with, uh, oh, uh, Frank and Barry, and they were watching me skate around the rink. And uh, at the uh, at the supper, uh, they both came over to me and uh, came came over and said, uh, "You know, you're you're you know you're a big kid. Um, you know you're you're a little kind of uncoordinated, yet you're you're coordinated. Um, we've heard lots of good things about you. Just continue to do what you're doing." take your assignments, work hard, keep your nose clean. Uh, Cause we're kind of watching you. I'm like, Oh really? So it went, went that way. And then I had a chat with before the camp broke, I had a chat with uh, Carrie and, uh, and Danny. And they just said, you know, these, these guys have some interest in you. So just, you know, work hard, keep your nose clean and you never know what can happen. Uh, then I ended up working the Memorial Cup in uh, Portland in 1986, and uh, Brad Lazarowicz and myself ended up working the final game. And um, Jim Christensen was there on behalf of the National Hockey League. So at the end of that, that summer, they called Laz and offered him a full-time job. 
Mm-hmm. Um, then they called me and said, listen, there's no jobs available because we just hired Brad Lazarowicz, but we want to bring you to training camp to give you the experience of what it's like to go through an NHL camp um, because we've got interest in you and we want to keep you interested. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I went to camp and uh, did all the ice sessions, the fitness tests and all that kind of stuff. And uh, when the um, NHL guys went into their association meetings because I wasn't part of the association, they put together a bunch of OHL games for me to go out and uh, and work with OHL officials. So I got to go out and then uh, get more experience, you know, just see some different hockey and and stuff like this. And uh, they sent Sam Cisco and a couple other guys to come out with me and they supervised those games. And then at the end of training camp, John McCauley pulled me aside and said, hey, um, we're impressed. Um, you impressed a bunch of the the people that uh, we wanted to introduce you to. Go back, work hard, keep your nose clean, we'll be in touch. Went back, worked the next season, didn't hear a thing all summer. I'm, I was going like, geez, you know, am I, am I going back to training camp? I haven't heard anything. It's like it's almost near the uh, end of August. And I'm like, holy cow, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I did something wrong and they're, they're mad at me and I'm not, uh, I'm not on the radar anymore. And I get a call from John McCauley's, uh, secretary. He says, uh, Hey Mike, how's it going? Uh, Dorothy, that was her name. And she goes, uh, John wants to talk to you. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, but he's on, a, he's, he's just finishing up a phone call. So if you can hang on a sec, uh, he'll be right with you. I'm like, yeah, sure. And at the time, I was uh, running two service stations for Imperial Oil. So I'm just sitting there and uh, waiting for John to come back. So John gets on the phone. Hey, how's it going out there in Calgary? Blah, blah, blah. You know, all the all the uh, nice stuff that you usually have in a conversation. And he says, all right. Okay. He says, let's get down to brass tacks here. He says, uh, we've had a couple things happen in Toronto here. He says, I don't know if you've heard. I went, uh, no, I haven't heard anything, talked to anybody, didn't know what was going on. He goes, perfect, that's just the way I like it. <laughs> so kind of had a chuckle over that. He said, uh, Wayne Forsey has decided to retire and go on to some other uh, other things. Um, we're uh, going to offer you the job uh, if you're interested. And he says, but before you say anything, he says, let me tell you what uh, what you're going to make here. He says, you're going to make $24,000 a year. Uh, we'll pay for your flights, your hotels. Um, we'll give you some expense money and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool, John. I said, but I said, I make $50,000 running into service station. Mm-hmm. He goes, hey, kid, don't worry. We'll make that up on your expenses. <laughs> so then he just you know talked a little more about the job and, you know, and stuff like this. And he just basically said, uh, do you want the job or not? And I said, absolutely, I'll take it. He says, perfect. He goes, that's the answer I was looking for. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, he says, uh, welcome to the National Hockey League uh, official staff. He says, I'll have Dorothy uh, FedEx everything out to you today. You should have it tomorrow. And it'll have all your training camp information and things that you need to do to book your flight and stuff like this. And uh, any questions, he says, I'll throw in uh, Randy and Sweet's phone number. Give them a call and uh, we'll see you at training camp. Like training camp was like not even two weeks later than uh, when he called me. So I was like, wow, this is kind of like a whirlwind thing. And ended up showed up at camp, and there I was introduced as the as the new hire. 
And I got to ask you, what was it like putting on that first uh, you, the jersey for your first ever NHL game? Like, what was running through your head? Like, what what was the experience of that? Well, it was kind of surreal, just kind of stepping on the ice because I worked. Uh, my first exhibition game was in Buffalo, and it was with uh, Pat Capuzzo and Ron Hogarth. So it was kind of like, wow, here I am in the old Buffalo. Odd used to watch, you know. All the, all the games from Buffalo, I was like, this is kind of cool. And, you know, went out and banged off the first game, banged off the second game. I was like, oh, there's nothing to this gig. I think I ended up doing uh, 13 preseason games uh, my first year. And I was like, wow, this is kind of easy. You know, just get out here, buzz around the rink, call some offsides, offside passes, a couple icings, drop the pucks. You know, there's lots of, lots of, really big name players that I used to watch when I was younger and I'm on the same ice surface with these guys. This is awesome. And then it was like, they flipped the switch from exhibition to, okay, now we're playing regular season hockey. And, uh, that was a whole other story. <laughs> and looking back at your career, I mean, you did some, some very like high level games. Obviously you worked the, the winter Olympic, the 2002 gold medal game, some all-star games and some stand, like some playoff games. I mean, looking back at your career, what sticks out for you as uh, some special memories? Oh, I mean, it's always, you know, your first exhibition game is, is, is kind of big because it's the first time you ever step on the ice with NHL players. But you always remember your, your first regular season game, your first playoff game, um, you know, the All-Star game in 1998 when we were in uh, Vancouver. That was the first year that they changed the format. So it was a big deal. Um, then when uh, I was selected uh, by the NHL IHF to uh, go participate in the Salt Lake City Olympics and then, you know, work all the games there. And then, you know, with, along with Bill McCurry, get uh, get picked as uh, two of the officials to work the, the gold medal game. And, you know, not only to have two Canadians working a USA Canadian IHF game, but to make it the gold medal game, you know, the first time in 50 years, these two teams have played, uh, you know, to to go after gold and just all the hype around that, um, you know, and then you have all the, you know, Wayne Gretzky's 802nd goal. Um, you know, I was on the ice when Timu Solani broke the rookie record. I got a stick from that game. Um, just, you know, there's a, as, as as I go through my career, and I and I should have taken Dan Marwelli's advice and wrote down after every game all the neat little things that happen in every game because I start talking about games and all these other memories come back and I'm like oh I forgot about that forgot about this oh yeah I was there for that there for this it's just there's so many kind of neat things that happen in in every game when you get milestones and things like that those are the ones that really stick out. But there's a lot of other things that, that kind of, that are cool that go on and you kind of forget about them until you start talking. And especially when you get around some older alumni players, like I'm part of the Flames alumni here now. And we just did a thing out in Kindersley for the Kinderley's, uh, junior Clippers of the Saskatchewan Junior League. And, you know, we all got together on a bus and we're driving out there and we start talking stories and, uh, you know, all these other things come back and it's like, Oh yeah, you were there for that. Yeah. I remember that. And it's, it's kind of cool. And I gotta ask you because, like, I I vividly remember that 2002 gold medal game, and I'm just curious, like, 
obviously you worked a ton of games in the NHL and like what's the mindset going into a game a game like that is it is it different to, do you have more nerves are you, are you are you like what what's the mindset going into an Olympic game versus especially one of that scale versus a, a regular season game in the NHL for example well you know when uh, when Bill and I found out we were working the gold medal game we kind of sat off in a corner you know, we, we had a kind of, we started a tradition then that, you know, we brought all the referees together, whether amateur or professional, we had quote, a get together beer room and all the female and male officials that were from amateur hockey that were there. We brought them all together as, you know, cause we were there as one group and we wanted to have that mentality that, you know, we're not NHL guys coming in to get, uh, amateur guys sent home. You know, we're, we're here to be part of the group and we want, all of you to be part of our group. So we did that every night after, after all the games. And when Bill and I found out, we kind of slinked off into a corner and, uh, you know, chatting with Billy, it was like, you know, we got to just treat this like it's just, uh, it's, it's a Stanley cup hockey game. Um, the hype is the, is the hype. There's nothing we can do about that. We just have to go out and do our jobs and let's just be prepared to, do the best that we can do for one game. And we really didn't, I guess the magnitude of that game never really hit me until after the game. And, you know, Pat Quinn shuffling down in the corner to, to come and talk to Billy and myself. But, uh, you know, you, re- you represented yourself really well. You represented the National Hockey League to a very high standard. You should be very proud of yourselves and stuff like this. And I just said, I like the Pat Quinn. I said, Pat, thank you very much. And I looked at him and I said, can I ask you a question? He goes, absolutely, son. I said, does that mean you're not going to yell at me anymore? And he goes, hell no. He goes, nothing's changed. <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that's, that's incredible. And uh, I'm just curious. I, like, I think you probably get asked this question a lot. But, uh, I mean, you know, you see a linesman now in the NHL. You have to have some size behind you. And, Certainly, I don't know if you you were the tallest NHL linesman in, in history. I mean, at six foot nine. But I'm just curious, like, you know, firstly, like, what were the advantages of the size, and secondly, were there any disadvantages to having that size for you during your career? Well, to start with, my my size is probably part of the reason why I got hired ahead of a few other guys because, you know, the late late 80s, you know, it was the brawling years. You had the the fierce battle between Calgary and Edmonton every time they played it, it was just massive massive intimidation tactics and my height was an advantage in breaking up the fights because I had all the all the leverage and I kind of overshadowed all the uh, all, all the tough guys so that kind of gave me a bit of uh, an advantage and uh, probably wanted to say an early kind of ex- acceptance quicker than a few other guys just because of my size um, later on in, 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 in my career, of course, you know, with the, the game getting way faster and stuff like this, my size was a bit of a detriment because of my long strides. You know, you put me in scampy side by side, scampy, you take 300 strides going end to end. <laughs> I'd take 50. I wouldn't be that far behind them, but it's, let's look at uh, all everybody, anybody ever remembers is, man, look how fast scampy skates, but you know, there I am right behind them, but I've got the, um, I think uh, Frank and Barry just said it uh, really, really well to me one night. He goes, you got the Jean Beliveau moves. He says, 
He says, it doesn't look like you're moving very fast, but you get to where you need to be. So that's all we're, that's all we're concerned about. Well, you know, with today's game, you know, I don't know if I would, uh, I'd even be on their radar with how fast it was because that was one of the things that I had to change in my, in my training regime was when I, when I got hired, I was like, you know, probably 215, maybe 220 pounds. I was powerlifting to get stronger because I was dealing with guys like Dave Brown and Dave Semenko and Tim Hunter and, you know, Charlie, you know, big, strong guys. So I went up, you know, I got up to 250, 260. And as the game got faster, that was, that was, that weight was too much for my body to carry at a, at a, at a fast speed. So I had to cut my weight down, which I lost a little bit of size, but I still had the leverage that I could do what I needed to do because with all the rule changes, fighting wasn't as prevalent as it was when I first got hired. Mm-hmm. So he ended up having to kind of adjust going from, okay, I got to go from being big and bulky to lean and fast. So I had some really good trainers along the way that uh, I ran into that uh, kind of adjusted my style to the way the game was going. And I, you know, it's, it's a credit to them that, they saw the way the game was going, adjusted what I needed to do, and I lasted 30 years. And that's amazing. Like, you, you, like, the, like the longevity you had, and I was going to ask that as my next question, but like, what were the keys for you? Like you said, trainers, but I mean, like to, to have the career that you did where you're lasting like 30 seasons with some of the top you know, skaters in the world, some of the fastest skaters in the world, I mean, like was there any keys to you in your longevity, especially later on in your career, like in addition to the, to the training and stuff? Yeah, it was just all about uh, working on my foot speed because I was never a, you know, like you look at Connor McDavid, his first three strides and he's full speed. Like that dude is like hyperspace. Um, for me, it was like my first four, four to six strides. I, you know, I, I had to get used to the to the quick feet versus oh, I'll just take a couple of strides and get into you know get into my long strides. It was you know go from short a little bit longer to a little bit longer to a little bit longer a little bit longer a little bit longer but keep them short so I could get the speed up to get into my long stride. So it was just a matter of just adjusting how I, my skating style. And then because I was so big, I had the ability to kind of anticipate where I should be and where I shouldn't be. And the combination of those two, the anticipation of where I should be, plus the adjustments of, of, of how they had me skate, you know, kept me in tune where I needed to be. So I wasn't a detriment to, you know, the game per se, so they could keep me around. Okay. And I just wanted to shift now, Mike, if that's all right, just to talk about your, your, I guess your life after professional hockey and sort of your role with the game now. And, uh, I know I'm not, I'm not from Calgary, but I, I certainly know that you've had a, a really good impact in Calgary. And, uh, I, I believe I could be wrong, but I believe hockey Calgary actually named the community hero award after, after yourself. And you've had a really good impact there. I'm just, I'm just curious, like what was your philosophy after you hung up the skates uh, professionally, like what was your goal? Did you did you want to help out on the, the grassroots level? I mean, what was what was your perspective there? I guess. Well, when I um, when I left the ice in in January, uh, Stephen, all I want to say, probably mid December, called me in Chicago, and I, and you know we were talking about me leaving, and you know I was kind of trying to push him that I could go to the end of the season and. And he went, no, January, you know, you're, you're going to be finished in January. We're not going to extend it to the end of the season like they did with Paul Dvorsky because we didn't have as many injuries on the linesman side and stuff. And he wanted to work some younger guys into the 30 games that I would have ended up uh, working from 
January to the end of the season. So he said, listen, he goes, I'm going to be bringing a bunch of young kids through Calgary. He said, I want you to go and kind of mentor them in, in, in those games and, you know, see how you like that. And, you know, maybe there's an opportunity down the road. So I finished and uh, started doing that. And I really enjoyed working with the young guys and they, uh, they enjoyed the feedback that uh, I provided them from just sitting up in the stands, watching them. And, you know, unfortunately nothing from the professional side came about. Um, but I was asked in the summer at, uh, at a referee school that I uh, went to speak at if I'd be interested in helping with the Alberta Junior Hockey League. And I went, yeah, sure. So we actually started a, a program down here. Uh, I've got to give Dave Webster kudos because he's the contact from the Alberta Junior Hockey League in the South here that uh, I uh, I have a lot of conversations with. And he's the one that kind of came to me and said, you know, this is what the idea, you know, this is what we're, this, this is the plan we're looking at doing. How can we tweak it? So I said, well, I said, you know, we need, if you want this to be successful, there's got to be, right away, there's got to be buy-in from the guys on the ice. I said, we can go into the rooms and we can talk to we're blue in the face. If the people on the ice aren't buying what we're selling, we're just wasting our time. So he said, well, that's one of the reasons why we want to get you involved is because you lend automatic credibility to what we're trying to do here. He said, you can go in and tell these guys the same thing that I'm going to go in and tell them, but they're going to take it verbatim from you versus they're going to look at me going like, well, Dave, you know, what was your highest level of hockey, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, no, I, I want to work with you guys. Let's get this program going. Uh, we're year three uh, starting right now. Last year, um, I want to say the program was so successful that um, when the Alberta Junior Hockey League playoffs got into the second round, um, they for the second round, third round, and the finals, when Okotoks ended up playing Spruce Grove, they strictly used uh, Calgary area-based referees and linesmen. That would be the first time in, Lord, I couldn't tell you how many years that they haven't brought in referees from outside the Calgary area to work these games. And I told Dave, I said, that's, I believe, wholeheartedly a credit to the system that we've developed down here that the league has full confidence in the guys that we're putting out on the ice. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, my, my philosophy is put the best people on the ice and just let them go. And, you know, we have the um, RBC cup here this year, and I've already had a bunch of guys call me, want us, want to sit down and have one-on-one -on -one meetings with me as to, you know, what do I need to do? Da, 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 da. Um, you know, because I'm competing with this guy. He worked last year, and I said, okay, let me stop you right there. I go, what happened last year is last year. I said, right now, everybody's ranked number one. And I told him, I, I don't like rank, I don't like when I have to rank officials numberly because I came from that system, and it's it, to me, it's an awful system. Mm -hmm. I said, because once you get past the first six or eight guys, you're just filling in numbers because everybody else is interchangeable. No, no different than how hockey teams now staff their third and fourth lines is they bring in guys, they work them hard, but if some guy's not working hard, they've got a guy down in the minors that's an interchangeable part that they'll bring up and put in because they'll do the same thing that this guy's doing. So I said, everybody's on the same level right now starting starting this year. I go, what happened last year is, is it's over. I said, June 1st, what, what everybody did last year is done. It's gone. 
we start a new season. If your end goal is to work the RBC, I'll tell you what you need to do to get there or to be in the conversation. It's up to you to do the work. And I said, you know, last year, last year when I talked to a couple of guys, I just said, you got all worked. And I had them sitting in the stands and I, and I, and I actually showed them on the ice how they got out worked. And they said, okay, now I understand. I said, so go out, do this. I said, you do this consistently, game in and game out, whether you're here doing midget AAA, junior C, senior men's. I said, I don't care what it is. You did it. You do these things consistently night after night. And if your goal is to be in the conversation for the RBC tournament, I said, I guarantee at the end of the season, you will be in the conversation. I said, I can't guarantee you're going to get there because I have no control once we, once we put forth the names. I said, that's to a whole other committee group. But I said, you will be in the conversation. And I said, that's where you want to be. And to get a little bit of insight into to the coaching uh, strategy you have, or just 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 the way you go about it, I mean, you know, I guess as a, as a as a as somebody who's coaching officials, there's there's you know there's always dozens of things that you can look to tweak. But for you, is there, is there a few fundamentals that you focus on day in and out for for your officials? Like, is there is there certain traits or certain practices that you really focus on for your referees and linesmen? Yeah, for the linesmen, I'm all about communication and covering for your partner. Um, and my philosophy is when the, when the puck from the center ice dot to your partner's side of the ice, if the puck's on that side of the ice, you're moving up ice as fast as you can to give him options, whether he needs to bump in however far he needs to bump in to get out of the way, not get hit, not get run over. Um, cause the, the, the days of the blue line is mine and anybody coming this way, we're going to have a collision. That's done. We don't want that. Right. Um, the second thing is communication on the ice, uh, when it comes to encroachment, um, when you see things on the ice, communicating with the referee, whether they make a penalty call or not, um, it, it's all about the teamwork thing. And, and that's what I tell the referees when we have two referees on the ice, we have two lines on the ice. I said, you guys are no different than the, than the linesman. I said, you guys work in unison. I said, you have to read off of each other. And the quicker you read off of each other, the better sight lines, the better position, less dangerous it's going to be for you guys. And I'm all about the safety and just being in a spot to make the right call. I, 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 I tell the, my, my speech before the, every game to the guys and they, they can tell you before I turn around the door, they know exactly what's coming out of my mouth is I, I tell them, I got, I go, guys, work as a team, work hard, have fun. I'll see you at the end of the game. And I'm out the door. And, uh, we're coming into the, the final bit of our segment here is that we want to let you go and, uh, get back to enjoying, I guess, the last remnants of, of the summer here, if, if you can call it that. But, uh, you know, we like to lead to, to end these podcasts usually, Mike, by just ask, you know, asking, if you might have some good advice for officials, and we're coming into the beginning of a new season for a lot of folks out there, I'm just curious. Uh, and I know there was a ton of nuggets of wisdom in what you've just said, but uh, as a, as an ending note, do you have any uh, uh, prime advice for those officials out there that might be listening? Yeah, you know, it, it doesn't matter what level of hockey you do. And I go back to when I was working minor hockey, whether I was working an ACAC game, a university game, an Alberta Junior Hockey League game, or a Bantam A game a PVC game. I always worked hard and I know you're going to work 
hard differently at each level, but I, I never was out there with the fans looking at me like I was out there on a Sunday skate. And it doesn't matter what level you're at when you're out there doing the, I'm just out here for the money Sunday skate thing. It really, really shows up. So my whole thing is go out, doesn't matter what level you work, work hard, work to the best of your ability. Hey, things are going to happen that it's going to go sideways. That's just part of the business. You need to understand that when that happens, you just learn from it and go forward to your next game. Don't carry it into your next game. It's something happened. It's going to happen. And I've told guys, I said, I don't know how many offsides I've missed. And how many onside plays I probably called offside? Yeah. How many high sticks that I uh, that you know that I, I I would have sworn hit the guy that wrong you know got the wrong stick? It's going to happen. But I tell the referees, react to what you see. If you think it's a penalty, call a penalty. If you don't think it's a penalty, don't guess. If you only see half a play, don't guess. Because go with your gut. What you initially see with your eyes. I always tell them, referee with your eyes. What you think you see, you react to. Because nine out of ten times, you're going to be right. Where you where you mess up is when you start second-guessing yourself, going like, eh, uh, maybe, yeah, uh, no, get rid of that. Just react to what you see. And, uh, Mike, I think that's 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 pretty uh, pretty golden wisdom, I think, for, for any officials out there that are listening. And uh, we want to thank you. Uh, I know you're, you're a busy guy, so we want to thank you for all your time and uh, for helping the officials out there to, to learn from your career and to learn – uh, from your experience and the insight you can provide. So, Mike, we want to thank you uh, once again and uh, wish you all the best uh, down the road. Well, thank you very much for having me, and uh, I enjoyed it. And feel free to give me a ring anytime.